0: Good morning. Wanna greet each one in Christ's name this morning. The message that I've decided to give this morning is called Deconstruction or Destruction. How many of you have heard the word deconstruction? Quite a few of you. Do you feel like you know what the word means? But you definitely know what it's doing to those who are pushing it, right? So is it truly deconstruction or is it destruction? And I'm sorry if this word is new to you. It's out there and people are promoting it, whether it be in books or in podcasts, in writings online. Before I begin the message, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning... We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that can lead and guide us. And I just pray this morning that if there are those this morning, Lord, that need to hear this message, that you would use me to say what needs to be said, Lord. But that even if I don't say it right, Lord, that you would be able to work in each of our lives. I just pray, Lord, you would bless This message and this service this morning, we pray this in your name. Amen. This word is often used when someone is leaving a religion they grew up in. So you may hear this term go, well, I'm deconstructing Mormonism, or I'm deconstructing Catholicism, or the one I'm wanting to look at this morning, though, is when they say, well, I'm deconstructing Christianity, but it could even be used when someone says, well, I'm deconstructing my ultra-conservative, I'm I'm exaggerating here, but ultra-conservative anabaptism. And they often say it as if they're doing something good or something righteous in their life. Last year, um, I don't know how many of you heard this audio clip. But it just struck, struck me very funny. Um, SpaceX was testing a rocket that I believe is eventually supposed to go to the moon. And then if it does well, they'll just enlarge it and it'll go to Mars. But this rocket got off the launch pad. And I think it was heading up for maybe 30 to 50 seconds when it suddenly just blew up. And Elon Musk said that the, rapid, the rocket experienced, get this, rapid unscheduled disassembly. Did you get that? Rapid unscheduled disassembly. What did he make it sound like? That he had this explosion all planned out. He knew it was going to happen, and it happened. But he didn't want it to explode. But he had to come up with a clever way To get people to find some humor in what was not necessarily a humorous situation for himself. This statement is funny. Nobody died. Nobody was on that rocket that they were testing. So you could laugh and say, okay, well, we'll learn from the mistakes made and go on. But the deconstruction of faith is anything but funny because it's leading people away from God, away from Christ. And will lead to eternal damnation of their soul. And so that that is not funny. And yet, there are many people out there that are taking this idea very lightly. So I decided to look up the definition of deconstruction. And I looked it up online, and I didn't like that definition. I looked it up, miriamwebster.com. And let's just say there... Definition of the word proves how dangerous this idea is. It was just what I'll call gobbledygook. Anybody know what that means? Word salad. After giving their definition of the word deconstruction, they emphasized that this does not mean demolition. Even though usually someone who is deconstructing Christianity. Is taking a sledgehammer to their faith. And that's why I'm having this message this morning. I wanna I'm concerned that no one here would be going down this path and demolishing their faith in Christ. Often it's used the idea is used that the the idea is, well, we're 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 investigating the truths of Christianity, or we're finding out who the true Jesus is. That the Jesus of past, past Christianity wasn't a true picture of him. But I don't believe that is true. Today I'll be quoting some different people. And I may not, I don't agree with everything that these people say. But I felt like on this subject they were correct. And it's something that can be helpful to us today. I'm also going to be using a few times this morning a term Orthodox Christianity. I want to be clear on that because sometimes I use a term up here in the pulpit. And I, to me it's very clear what I'm trying to say. And then later I find out that a number of you thought I was meaning something else. So when I use the term Orthodox Christianity today, I'm not talking about the Greek Orthodox Church or the Russian Orthodox Church. I'm talking about biblical, fundamental, Christianity outside even of the Anabaptist churches. So that's just make sure you're clear on that when we go forward. Also, I want to preface my message this morning. I want to be clear that I'm also in having this message, I'm not saying that all those that have left in the last couple of years have left for this reason, but I have a concern for each one of you here this morning and for those that have left. That none of them, none of you are going down this path. One of the first people that I heard about that was kind of talking about this idea of deconstructing their faith was a name that a lot of you would know as Joshua Harris. He wrote some good books back in the 90s, early 2000s. And I don't know that anything in those books is blatantly wrong or unbiblical but yet today he's totally turned his back on what he said in those books and he's turned his back on his faith so he can see the end result the fruit of someone who has deconstructed Christianity but this term is popular right now by some people another term that's popular is well I need to unlearn something I don't know how many have heard that term and I've used it jokingly, but it also, sometimes when I hear it, it makes me get a little irritated. I need to un- unlearn something that my parents taught me, or my church taught me, or my school taught me. Is this correct? Do we need to unlearn things? Yes, we do, if they're wrong, if they're, un- if they're not the truth, if they're unscriptural. But I believe this term is often used for things that are true, that are the truth. And it's just an excuse to move past that and do what they want to do. The following uh, excerpt is from John MacArthur in talking about this subject. He says this, In the past you might not want to walk away from the church and walk away from Christ openly, publicly, because you would be shunned. You would be isolated. You would have nowhere to turn. You would be treated like a pariah, like Judas. But today you can go to the Internet and find tens of thousands of friends who will applaud you as a hero, the same as they do those who are caught up in the lie of, the, of transgender behavior. There's plenty of support for what's wrong. This is a massive movement of, of Christian deconstruction, evangelicalism. You can actually express your hero- heroism In a blog or a podcast, you can go to a conference of ex-Christians, evangelicals. You can be a speaker at one of those. You can be a shining, heroic victim of what the culture would deem as a false religion. So never has there been this much support for defectors. And that is very true. There's lots of places you can go and hear people talk about how they were damaged. They were hurt by their church or by their, their pastors, by their parents, whoever. You can find every angle on that. Is it true that churches, parents, pastors can fall short of what they should be? If we had say no, I'd say you need to stop and reconsider that. All of us can fall short of what God expects for us. We can fall short of what Jesus taught. But does this mean that we reject Jesus or Christianity because of this? Dr. John Dixon from Wheaton College says that if someone plays a piece from Beethoven poorly, do people blame Beethoven or do they blame the person playing the piece by Beethoven? I think that's very true. If you see someone who claims to be a Christian Christian, who has fallen, who has failed. Is that a bad light on Jesus? Or is that just simply a bad light on the person who was following Jesus? Turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I want to begin at verse 47. We're going to look here at Those, some people who were offended and fell away. So it's nothing new when people fall away from the gospel, from the truth. John 6, verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. The bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us, us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, and hath Eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day; for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning, Who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So what can we learn from this passage, from what happened even when Jesus was still walking here on earth? There are things in the gospel that are hard to hear at times. That are maybe hard to understand. Maybe even it goes against what our flesh desires. And that happened here. There were people who just did not understand. Jesus was talking of physical things, but yet it was was symbolic of the spiritual things that would happen. And yet there were a number of people who were following him For an easy road, they were following him for the food, the physical food that he would give them. And when he started talking about spiritual things, they turned away and went away. So people leaving the faith, leaving, following after Jesus is nothing new. So we're not in any special time period today, except that maybe we are in the last days and maybe it will get worse than it has been. But I want to assure you that it's nothing new for people to get offended and to leave. But that does not mean that it's inevitable that you, any one of you here, will be offended and fall away. There's, we have the truth. We have God's word. Are we seeking after that? Matthew twenty-four, twenty-four says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. And she'll show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall receive the very elect. And I believe we're living in those times. And those times have existed in one way or another ever since Jesus walked on earth. So we shouldn't be naive that it couldn't happen to us. You say, well, my parents were faithful, my grand going back, my grandparents were faithful, maybe my great-grandparents were faithful. But we need to be careful lest we stumble ourselves. Maybe your parents weren't faithful. And Satan uses that as a way to try to get you to fall. So we shouldn't be naive or proud that we won't fall either. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want to read it from there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers Having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love, his appearing. So since the time of Paul and Timothy, there's been a tendency as humans to follow after those that say things we want to hear. And I think that's what's happening with this deconstruction trend. The popularity of that is people want to hear what they want to hear, and these people are providing it whether through books or through podcasts. But it's, is it really leading people to the truth, or is it leading people away from it? And so I don't believe this deconstructing Christianity is building people up. I think rather it's destroying their faith. So first of all, let's look at this idea. Can Christianity be deconstructed? Or like I I said earlier, dismantled. I don't actually believe it can be deconstructed or dismantled. Why? Because it wasn't made by man in the beginning, in in the first place. Christianity wasn't a construct of any of of Paul or Peter, Apostle John, Disciple John, none of those. They were all simply tools for God to point people to God, to the gospel, to Christianity, but it wasn't constructed by them. And that's the lie that's out there is that Christianity was constructed by man. And so if it was, then yes, it can be deconstructed, but rather it was constructed by God and it was made possible by his son dying on the cross and rising again. So first place No man or woman can deconstruct Christianity, can deconstruct the gospel. This morning, if you are trying to grow spiritually and to learn more about God, and you find that something you were taught in the past is a wall or a a hindrance to you knowing God, then do check it. Make sure it is biblical. But don't compare it to the culture around us or the world to figure out if it's biblical. Go back to God's word. Does it line up with God's word? Most who find fault with Salem or other biblical churches or even with Orthodox Christianity in general are not moving in a biblical direction. They're not moving in a more godly direction, but are simply following their heart And I believe it's leading them away from God. And so we need to, each one of us, examine our motives. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't be digging and learning and trying to know more. Let's check our motives to why we're doing that and what we're hoping, where the end is, and where maybe even the end will lead. Maybe even if we don't realize where it's leading us, we'll stop and make sure. There are many times those that are deceived... Are often deceived into thinking that having their beliefs more gray, if you know what I mean, less black and white, less clear. More gray is more spiritual. More gray is more like being Jesus. But this is not the biblical Jesus. So for the next part of the message, I want to look at was Jesus black and white or was he gray? Was he this wishy washy guy or did he have firm, solid beliefs? and standards that he taught because it is true that if we follow after a false Jesus that it will only be a matter of time until we have no faith in the true God and the true Jesus was Jesus easy come easy go when you think of Jesus who do you think of him was he black and white Did he teach a narrow or a broad gospel? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. To start out with, I'm going to read just the first 12 verses of chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eyes, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine own eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast you pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth, and him that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good gifts to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Those that are pushing deconstruction typically claim that we as Biblical Christians are judgmental and hypocritical. We do need to be careful that we are not expecting something from another brother or sister that we ourselves are not willing to live out in our own life. That's what the Pharisees did, and Jesus was very critical of them. They had all these man-made laws piled on top of God's law, and yet they themselves didn't follow them. We need to be careful that we're not doing that. It is true. But when it comes to judgment, we'll see later here, we do need to look at people's fruit. But yes, judgment is often heaped on those who are true Christians. But yet those that are in this deconstruction movement often are just as judgmental as anyone else. They're often just as hypocritical as anyone else. I have a quote here from Frank Tour. It says, Those who are saying that they will never join a church because it is full of hypocrites. He responds, Come on down, pal. We have room for one more. And you could say that whether it's hypocrites or, or people that are holier than now or people that are Sinners. I hope that no one here at Salem is going around to the world giving the idea that we are perfect, that we have no faults in ourself. As Frank Turrett says, yes, we are sinners. We are hypocrites. We have failed in the past. We have all, at some point in our life, portrayed ourselves in a way that wasn't true. But those accusing us or saying that they could never become a part of a church are just the same. They're in need of the same grace that we are. But what does this all point to? This points to the fact that we are not perfect, but God is. God is not a hypocrite. God is not holier now, but we are. We need. We are in need of a God who can save us from that. Verse seven encourages us to ask and to to seek and to knock and we are called to do that. So you say this morning, well, I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to get drug into deconstruction or something that's unscriptural. So I'll just not dig too deep. No, we do need to dig deep into God's word. We do need to strive for a closer relationship with him because God does want us to know the truth. He wants us to be righteous, to live holy. But it's not for personal grandizing, personal um, glory. It's for glory to God. And so are we doing that? Going on then, verses 13. Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs, or of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. These are the words of Jesus. If you think Jesus was gray and a little bit wishy-washy, he preached a narrow road, not a broad one. He preached right over wrong. He preached righteousness and being warning of sin. He preached life and wants each one of us to avoid spiritual death. So if there is someone that you're following, whether you're reading their books, listening to them teach, look at their fruits. What is their fruits bearing? Is it holiness, godliness, or is it freedom from godly Commands. Just a few more verses I want to go through quickly. Just a few, cha- a couple chapters earlier there in Matthew to continue to look at was Jesus black or white or gray? Matthew five verse <clears throat> thirteen. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? Is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Verse 20, for I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 22, it talks about getting angry with your brother, that you'll be in danger of hell. Verses 29 to 30, that if your eye or your arm causes you to sin, you you should just chop it off. There's nothing black or nothing gray about that. God is very black and white and clear about what he expects and what he desires. So does this mean that Jesus isn't loving? No. He loves the sinner. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come to this earth and died on a cross. He loves the sinner and hates the sin. Does he love someone that's struggling with sin? If you're this, here this morning and there's a sin in your life that you just keep struggling with, no, you should not feel condemnation on a personal level. God loves you, but he wants you to have victory over that sin. Let's turn to John chapter 8. <clears throat> one of my favorite passages in the Bible John chapter 8 verses 10 and 11 the woman caught in adultery today we live in a me too movement that is aimed instead of like in Jesus day that was mostly aimed at the women if if there was a sin committed between a man and a woman the woman was always punished first the man often got off what did Jesus do when there was obvious sin in this woman's life, but the Jews wanted him to condemn her so that they could stone her, she said, "No man, Lord." And Jesus said unto her, "Neither do I." I'm sorry. I need to start at verse ten. When Jesus lifted up his himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, "Unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee?" She said, "No man, Lord." And Jesus said unto her, "Neither do I condemn thee." Go and sin no more. Jesus is quite clear that he loved every person ever walked on the earth. But he didn't love the sin. And so, yes, Jesus is loving, caring, but it's not gray about when it comes to sin. He hates the sin. In the closing of this message, I want to think a little bit about the end of the path of those who attempt to deconstruct Christianity or attempt to deconstruct biblical Christianity. We live in a world for a number of years. I don't know when this idea would have first come around. As they say, there's nothing really new under these, the under the sun. So Satan may have been using this argument ever since the beginning. But you'll hear this idea pushed forward that all the bad things that happen on the earth are because of religion. If we just got rid of religions, everything would be good. And a lot of these people that are deconstructing, I believe, are falling into this lie. So what did they try to do 50-some years ago, maybe 60 years ago? They, they said, we're going to get rid of prayer in schools, because that's promoting Christianity. So what was the result of that? We see that today, the end of that. Most class or many classrooms today—I'm not say most. Sorry, many classrooms today have LGBTQ. B—I probably got that wrong. Flags hanging in them. One religion was removed, and another was put in the classroom. It's not possible to be without a a God in your life. Either that God is the one true God or it's another God. Whether it's a false God or ourselves. There's nothing new, as I said. In the garden, Satan came to Eve through the serpent and tempted her with the idea that she could become like God. So that temptation never goes away. It's every generation... Has faced it. So, how are we looking at our religious beliefs in our own life? Yes, we should not look at Christianity as a religion to follow and to be a part of. That's possible to do that and not have a true relationship with Jesus and with the God of that religion. And then it is just a religion. But this idea that we can deconstruct from whatever we grew up in and then not have a belief, we'll just exchange that for another one. In closing, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Maybe you say this morning, but there are so many people out there pushing these ideas. Can they all be wrong? There's hundreds, there's thousands, maybe tens of thousands of videos on YouTube, hundreds of books on Amazon promoting these ideas of deconstruction. Can they all be wrong? First Kings eighteen, the beginning at verse seventeen. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent and all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. We know this story well. So how many prophets are there, false prophets? 850, how many prophets of God were there? One. It would have seemed to Elijah that everyone was a prophet of Baal. And it did. We go on later in the chapter. Even after God showed himself faithful and true as being the one true God, and it says that the people even said, The Lord, he is God. Verse 36, And it came to pass at that time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things in thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt-off burnt sacrifice And the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, He is God. And yet, just a little bit later, Elijah is on the run for his life, and he is depressed, and he feels like giving up. What does the Lord say? How many were still faithful in Israel? There were 7,000. So even when it feels like we're alone, and that no, one's, no one else is faithful, or it seems like everyone's following this popular trend or idea, let us remember that God doesn't change. God is still faithful. And even when we feel alone as ourselves, most likely there are other faithful believers out there who are still following and are still maybe even looking up to us and we don't even realize who they are, but they're looking up to us. And so let's each one of us remember to be careful what we follow after, what ideas, what trends that we may be caught up in. Let's make sure that they are biblical and that we're truly following God. The Lord bless each one of you.